Hey friends, Ashton here. Welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. Uh, Very excited today to introduce you guys to an individual named Amos Smith. Uh, I was sent his book not long ago, Be Still and Listen. Um, And I can tell you, just kind of thumbing through the pages here of uh, his journey of silence, stillness, and solitude, um, he is one of us. I think he's a much needed voice at our table in conversation, and uh, I'm super excited today just to have this conversation and dialogue, kind of walk the road with him a little bit, and uh, get to know he and his story. So Amos, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, it's great to be here, Ashton. Appreciate your work. Uh, appreciate your time, and um, good to good to just get to know your your listeners through this conversation. Absolutely, man. So um, I, I always ask this conversa- or this question when we begin our conversations, and it's basically when, when you kind of introduce yourself and your work in the world, where do you begin? Well, Ashton, uh, probably the, the place it all started for me was in the mountains. Um, I used to, I used to climb uh, the mountains in the Shenandoah Mountains in particular uh, to begin with. And then I, I did some climbing um, in different parts of the world. Um, but when I was up on a mountain and the air would get thinner and thinner um, and I would see these amazing, you know, panoramic expanses. And there's something about my dream life on a mountain too. My, my dreams would get more vivid, more crisp. And I just had this distinct uh, feeling that I was part of something much larger than myself. And, um, and I refer to the theologian uh, Rudolf Otto, who, you know, he's a very sophisticated mind, uh, very well read. But he said when it really, when it comes right down to it, we're just, we're hardwired uh, for this uh, this participation in something much larger than ourselves, and it's unmistakable. And when that experience happens, you know it changes everything. And so, because of those um, experiences of what I would call nature mysticism, and I get into that in chapter three of my book, uh, the na- the nature mysticism. But um, I wanted to go deeper, and so the second narrative that really informs you know where I'm coming from is that in 2001, I did my first 10-day centering prayer retreat mm-hmm. at, uh, at, or at Benedict's uh, Monastery in Snowmass, Colorado. And when I was there, I, I met uh, Father Thomas Keating. He, yeah. happened to yeah. be, um, he happened to be there that week and um, spent some time with him and um, had dinner with him. And one of the things he said to me over dinner is he said, you know, if you do... Uh, 20 minutes uh, uh, in the morning and, and 20 minutes in the afternoon sometime. Uh, that's 40 minutes a day of centering prayer um, each day. And if you do an extended retreat each year of at least six to 10 days, he said, you will make progress. And so that that really became my marching order, so to speak. And I was I was athletic in high school. I was the captain of my wrestling team. And I was one of those guys who would, you know, get up at six in the morning and run. And I would swim laps, you know, during lunch at school and stuff like that. And so I've, I've always been a, a pretty disciplined person. But I, I had this, um, you know, I had this new way to apply my discipline. And, and that was towards centering prayer. Um, so, you know, in the last uh, in the last 15 years, um, I very rarely um, missed the the 40 minutes a day of, of centering prayer and the yearly retreat. Um, and that's really made all the difference. So, 
beautiful. It's very Franciscan of you, um, the, this nature mysticism. Um, God's first Bible, as some of our uh, lights before us have said. Um, so I love this idea that, um, was it 10, 15 years ago that you met Thomas Keating? Yeah, 2001. Okay, 2001. And so you enter this journey into carving out uh, twice a day, two 20-minute sits. Um, for some of our listeners, we've uh, this isn't the first dialogue we've had around centering prayer, uh, around meditation. We've had Felina Hewitts, Chris Hewitts, Father Richard Rohr, uh, Sister Joan Chittister, um, Jim Finley. We've had ton of, a ton of these people that also participate in the um, centering prayer on a daily basis. As you, I always want people to go back and hear your experience from 15 years ago as you started to wade into these waters. Um, talk about your experience of the initial move into these 20 minute sits and then how gradually over time your world and the way you see the universe becomes more expansive, more spacious, uh, more freeing. Um, I, I think that it's important for people to hear the early parts of the story of how it is a little bit challenging and then what that has done for you over the years uh, as far as creating space and things like that. Well, I think, I think one of the important things to, to just talk about at the very beginning is a lot of people have this understanding of, of meditation or disciplined silences or centering prayer. They have this understanding that it's uh, primarily just in the mind. But this is really erroneous um, because when you really get into it and it becomes, uh, you know, a practice that you do year in, year out, it has a physiological component. So, you know, for me, for example, I used to have a lot of tension uh, in my back and I used to have a lot of tension in my jaw. And uh, and as I've been doing centering prayer, the uh, the tension in my body has slowly dissipated. So that I'm I'm much more um, you know I'm just much more at ease and there's a lot less tension in my body, and that's not something that's subjective. I mean that's something that a massage therapist could tell you, you know that um, this guy used to have you know a very tense back he doesn't anymore, and so you know there's there's just I mean centering prayer is it, it's it's physiological it's um, it's spiritual it's um, it's intellectual in that, um, you know, my friend and colleague, Rich Lewis, who does centering prayer on a daily basis, he talks about how he gets into this zone when he does centering prayer of what he calls relaxed efficiency. You know, and he works in a cubicle in an office um, in the financial industry. And, and, you know, all the people around him are, are just they're very busy, but they're very tense. And he says, you know, a, a difference with him is that he's very busy. But it's a relaxed busyness. It's a relaxed efficiency because, uh, you know, he, he's just no longer tense about it. And so um, so centering prayer just has lots of different aspects and angles. I think it, it's too easily kind of put it lumped in, into a corner somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but yeah, it, it, it really does have uh, a, a lot of different um, aspect, aspects to it. Um, but I, I'm, I got a little bit lost. I do that sometimes. So, so remind me, Ashton, of, of where, just where we're Just your journey. I just wanted to hold, you to kind of walk us through this journey of, um, I, I think a lot of people stop in the conversation of Centering Prayer because they've never stopped long enough to s- step back and view their thoughts, view their uh, obsessive-compulsive thinking. Um, they try it for three minutes, and they go, I don't even know what's happening. Um, but I, I think that it is 
one of the most important conversations around this topic is the consistent discipline of showing up every day uh, and allowing this uh, allowing this work. Not not only are you doing this work, but this work is being done to you. Well, see, we'll see that. Ashton, my, um, I think my lament, and I talk about it in, in some of my writing, um, is just that you know a lot of people that I encounter who are interested in centering prayer, just, they just generally go about it in an undisciplined way. And I'm not sure why that is, because if, if you want to get um, good at a musical instrument like the violin, I mean, you're going to have to set aside practice time every day yeah. to get good at it. Yeah. And if you, uh, if you want to get good at a sport, you know, like right now I have my nine-year-old son in, in wrestling, and I take him to um, this wrestling club, you know, two or three times a week. And, and sometimes he resists, you know, it, it's, it requires discipline. But I said, I said, you know, this is talking to my son. I said, Bud, you you might not like the wrestling room because it's it's hard, you know. But you're you're gonna like it when you're really good at this. And so, that's that's the thing I don't get is why people aren't more disciplined about it. But but I understand in the beginning it's just it's just excruciating. And so I mean. My buddy Rich Lewis uh, mentioned that when he first started centering prayer, the five minutes of silence was just brutal, you know, yeah. and it's so countercultural and it's so it's so different from anything we're used to. And it's uh, it's shocking to the system. So what I encourage people to do in the beginning is just set aside the next 30 days on your calendar and just mark mark it on your calendar. And every single day for the next 30 days, just sit as long as you possibly can. So if, if all you can stand today is four minutes, that's fine. You know, try for maybe a little bit more tomorrow. You know, try for five minutes tomorrow. But each day, just just sit just once a day for 30 days and just do it for as long as you possibly can. And uh, and then at the end of 30 days, you know, evaluate and just, you know, see, has this made a difference in my life? Is this something that I want to continue? And I, I think most of the time people will say yes. You know, they're just stopping everything and just, you know, shutting down the senses and and quieting. Um, it, it is important and it, it might be hard, but, you know, I, I can see that this is going somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's the way I, I would start. And then I think in time, you also have to get creative. You know, for example, uh, when I, you know, when I go to the church, because uh, I'm a, I'm a minister of a church, um, I will, you know, go to church a little bit early and I just tell my admin, I said, look, I, you know, I'm going to do centering prayer. Just anybody who comes or calls, just tell them I'm, I'm in a meeting. And so I'll just put in my earplugs and I'll do my uh, centering prayer right there. Um, and then I find that I, I, you know, do centering prayer best on an empty stomach. So, um, I'll do that first and then I'll have all my breakfast stuff there at the church and I'll eat breakfast. And then I do the same thing for lunch. You know, I, I tell my admin, uh, before I'm going to have lunch, uh, Hey, you know, just tell people I'm in a meeting and, and it's fairly honest, you know, I'm in a meeting, you know, with, uh, the divine, um, with God in Christ. And so, uh, and so I just take 20 minutes and, um, and then I have my lunch after that. And the same thing sometimes before I go home, I, I find if I go straight home from work, sometimes I bring some of the tension from work mm. uh, into the house. So if I can get in, you know, 10 or 15 minutes um, before I head home from work, um, I'm able to be more present with my family when I get home. So you've got to be creative about this thing. I mean, in Rich Lewis, I mean, he gets very creative with it. He'll actually, during lunchtime, he'll go to his car and he'll do centering prayer in his car. 
um, and and then he'll go back to his cubicle. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, that that second sit, um, you know, around lunchtime is so important to him because after he's had his sit in his car, he's much more efficient and effective at work, and he's much more present. Um, so it's just a, you know, it's it just makes sense. It's a way of balancing out the frenetic activity with just um, you know some time to just you know pause, uh, take a few steps back. Um, let let go of everything. Let go of the thoughts. Let go of the pace, um, and just you know be present, you know, in your body, in your mind. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to read um, just your first paragraph of this introduction uh, into the book because it is a meal in itself. And right when I read this, I was like, okay, this uh, we need Amos. Thank you, Amos, for joining our conversation. This is a paragraph that I think a lot of us will high-five you through the podcast universe. Um, You write here, The spiritual journey, as I have experienced it, has not been about comfort. It's been about the birth of wonderment. My journey has been about letting go of everything I've known for an exquisite unknown, for a delicious mystery that keeps me baffled and babbling. I mean, dude, like that's that's how you drop the mic and open a book. Um, so, uh, well, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I, talk to me about this exquisite unknown and the delicious mystery, and how we enter that through silence, stillness, and solitude. Because I, I um, one of the things that I that I want everyone to hear as we enter these conversations is that um, the practice of carving out silence and stillness and solitude, while it is so countercultural, um, you enter into this delicious mystery, as you stated, this exquisite capital U unknown, um, and it's deeper, wider, more vast, more peaceful. There's more joy. Each time we develop these practices, um, we find ourselves in more and more wonderment. And at the end of the day, that's what we all want, right? Um, We thought we wanted success, but what we really want is wonderment. Talk to me about the exquisite unknown. Well, I I think, you know, people in the West are so stuck in their mind. I mean, that's an understatement, a, a big understatement. I mean, people are just so stuck in their analytical minds, and they they've been scripted in this for for decades, you know, in in all of their education and everything. I mean, they're they're just so entrenched that I found honestly sometimes the best way uh, to get people to to get a sense of this this bigger mind, this non dual mind, this um, you know this mind of Christ. <clears throat> is to, to actually just jump uh, into the deep end and, and just mm-hmm. to shock the entire system and to just just have a jolting experience. And so what I've encouraged people to do sometimes, um, it's you know a little extreme, but I think it's actually necessary if somebody really wants to get into this stuff, is um, there, there's an organization in the United States, it's called Vipassana, and it's, um, the, the main teacher is S.N. Goenka. Um, and there are there are four uh, Vipassana retreat centers in the United States, and um, each one of them have an introductory ten day retreat. Now, on that ten day retreat, it is uh, complete silence. Uh, there is no reading material that is allowed. Um, you can 
you eat two meals a day and you meditate usually at least six hours a day. Hmm. And so by the end of, of those 10 days, and by the way, that introductory retreat is open to all people. It doesn't have a religious slant. Um, and they're very clear about that. It's just simply to introduce a method of, of meditation. But by the end of those 10 days, it, I don't care who it is. I don't, I don't care who is, is going on that retreat. They are going to be in a completely different state of mind. And, and what they're going to say to themselves is, holy moly, mm-hmm. I, I had no idea that this was even possible. You know, yeah. that, that just the mind can go to that place, you know, because, because it, it almost takes that saturation in silence and stillness you know, to, to get jolted out of, of the analytical mind. I mean, when I first got serious about meditation was, was after I did a long-term retreat up until that point, I was kind of off and on. I would just dabble. It was just, it was too difficult. And you know, what's, what's really the tangible result anyway, it's immeasurable. You know, what am I really going to get out of this? You know, that kind of thing. But once I went on a retreat, Wow, it just it just opened me up to a whole different space. So that's what I would encourage listeners to do, if if you've got the courage to do it, is just put it on your calendar, and get to a retreat. Um, they're centering prayer retreats throughout the uh, throughout the country, and if you just look up, uh, you know, if you just Google a retreat schedule centering prayer, uh, it should come up, uh, and you can find these retreats all throughout the country. Yeah, yep. so so important, especially from the standpoint of a lot of our listeners being business owners, um, people uh, highly invested in the public eye, artists, musicians, or whatever, escaping the noise. Uh, which you may not even know is noise, um, is such a big thing. And and matter of fact, this is a great gateway into kind of the, the three ways you divide your book, the first third being this entering the desert. And one of the, um, one of the lines that I underlined is that uh, you said, the rapture that our souls are hardwired for is most available when we shut the door to the senses. Um, hold my hand on what you mean by that. Well, um, you know, the basis of that in the in the Bible is Matthew uh, 6, 6. And in Matthew 6, 6, it says, when you go to pray to your God who is in secret, uh, you know, go into your room and and shut the door. But now people who did a little bit of, of research, they found that um, all of the houses around Palestine in that at that time of Jesus, they were one or two room houses. They didn't have any, you know, small room that you could go to, um, you know, because they they were houses that that had a constant, you know, a frenetic pace of, of, you know, a big family and lots of people coming through. So obviously, you know, Jesus isn't talking about an actual room that you go to. Um, it, it's a metaphor that you know you're shutting the door to uh, sights and sounds and smells and and touch. And, you know, you're just closing off the senses, and then you're going to a place that's, uh, that's deeper than the senses, which is silence and stillness. Um, and, and it's important to also, you know, I think especially for business leaders, uh, you know, the, the pace um, that you have to keep. Um, most people who, especially who own a business, I, I owned a business for a while, and I, I worked 70 hours, week, 70 hours a week, and it was just, just nonstop. You need, uh, you need a place you can recharge your batteries. You need a, a refuge. You, know, you need somebody, someplace you can retreat to um, and just totally shut all that off for a while. 
And um, I, I think it will actually um, not only bring more balance to life, but it will make somebody more successful in the long run mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because they have that, you know, that way of balancing um, all of the activity. I mean, the, one of the ways I, I think about it and talk about it is we have so much information that to compensate for that, we need deformation. And that's what uh, that's what centering prayer is, or any kind of um, silent prayer practice is. It's it's just letting go. You know, you've spent all this time running running around with all this information, uh, and and this is a space when we just let go of of all the information. Yeah, I think you said uh, there was a line I underlined somewhere in the book. God is an introvert. <laughs> did, did, was was that? Am I making that up? No, um, no, that's <laughs> yeah. No, that, when that's I read true. that, I was like. Okay, uh, what do you mean by that? Um, <laughs> well, so so maybe I'll, I'll bring it around to to, to this. Um, a few weeks ago, I was with a, a big group of, of teens uh, that were, you know, they were connected to uh, the church, and I, I was talking to them about um, about centering prayer and about my new book and so on. And this this one girl, she was like 16. She just totally got it. And and she said, you know, this just makes total sense. She said, especially now in the 21st century, when people are just on their phones 24-7, you know, like like you just need to retreat from that, you know. And um, we even have a policy like my family when we're on vacation, like there is no electronics until after 12. So, so the mornings are electronics free. There's no phone. There's no laptop. No tablet. No nothing. And and so I guess you know, as talking about God as an introvert, is it's it's the willingness I would say almost audacity to step back from all of the technology, from from the work schedule, and just say, hey, look, you know, I'm going to take ten days. I'm going to go to Snowmass, Colorado. You know, and, and I'm going to be in silence, and and you know, colleagues will be like, "What? What are you talking about?" You, you know, but I think that's that's the courage, though, that that we need is is the courage to go on retreat, the courage to step back from everything, um, and you know, and to just uh, connect to to something that's that's much much deeper, that is much more um, satisfying and fulfilling and and deep and profound. Uh, I mean, when we touch when we touch this um, the deepest aspect of ourselves, um, it will surprise us, and it it's you know it it just has a glory. There's a glorious joy that's there, and a sense of freedom, a, a sense of spaciousness, and and deep peace. And it, it's so delicious that once you taste that, I, I mean, that's that's when centering prayer became like brushing my teeth. You know, it just became never give up because it it's so fulfilling and that's that's what really motivates me to write is into you know is to encourage people especially you know people like business owners and um and people who are super busy to uh you know to to get into balance and and to get in touch with something much deeper um that you know that that we're really created for yeah yeah that enters into the second part of your book being uh, struggle and healing um, talk about, uh, I want to talk about the butterfly metaphor, and I want to talk about the struggle for freedom. Um, because when we enter the desert, uh, there is then, I think it's that breakthrough. This is the second part of carving out 
spaces for silence, stillness, and solitude. Talk about that struggle for freedom uh, and then that beautiful butterfly example in the book. Well, you know, people don't really like this aspect of of going deeply into silent prayer, so I, I don't I don't always touch on it. But but the truth of it is, just to lay it out. Yeah, the, the truth of it is to, to lay it out there um, is uh, you know that in the prayer community, there's something that happens that they refer to as unloading, and that is when when you enter into really deep rest um, in silent prayer, which is deeper than sleep, it gives the body an opportunity, if there's any tension in the body, um, to to release that tension. So it's very common, and this is well known in the Centering Prayer community, you know, and Thomas Keating, you know, again, refers to it as unloading. But what will happen, uh, and this is especially true for me on retreat, I, I found that this kind of stuff happens, is you'll just there'll just be a ball of tension, like for me maybe in my stomach, and it just gets more and more and more intense, and you you just you really want to just jump up and run is what it makes it makes you feel like doing. But but if you just hang with it, and you just breathe deeply, and you just let it go its course, you don't resist it, and the pain will become intense. But then at some point, the pain will dissipate and it will release. And when that happens, I mean, it just it feels so good. You know, it's, it's like your body has let go of something that it was holding on to really tightly that it needed to let go of. And you'll just even, you know, in your body, your, your shoulders will drop. Uh, you'll, you'll do a big exhale and and it's like after a really good run, you know, you just you just feel you just feel really good, and um, and that will happen when you go deeper into this practice, you know, and and uh, you know, for some people it, it takes longer, you know, to really get to a pl- place of of relaxation and um, and the release of of muscle tension throughout the body, uh, you know, for some it'll take longer than others. But it, it usually is, you know, it takes a long time, and it, it is painful. There's just no doubt about it. Um, so, And so this the other side of the conversation, uh, as we get into the third part of the book, is the undivided heart. Um, we're in, and here we're talking about oneness, unity, integration, wholeness. Um, I think you wrote about the participatory reality, something like that. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about that because uh, the the longer I'm in the game, the <laughs> the longer my pride and arrogance is is uh, whipped out of me. I'm finding that this this is the human longing: integration, wholeness, uh, oneness, unity, participatory reality. The, the, these are the things that, while we may not have language or vernacular for. It's what we are all really after. Um, and this is the beautiful uh, arriving space of entering these disciplines and practices. Yeah, well, um, one, of my, one of my favorite authors is Parker Palmer. Yes. Um, and he has, uh, so, so you resonate with him too, Ashton. We've, we've had him on the podcast before. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. Um, well, one of the things I, I love about Parker Palmer is, uh, and this especially comes through in his book, Hidden Wholeness, is he's very uh, open about his struggle with clinical depression. 
you know, he, he has had times when he's been hospitalized because of depression. And as a result of working with that, you know, he has be, he's come to a state of, of much higher integration um, than would have been possible if he had just, um, you know, hot, hid, suppressed, denied um, this, this depression. Uh, one of my favorite uh, psychologists, uh, probably my favorite uh, psychologist is uh, Carl Jung. And he, he talks about, you know, when we really uh, make progress towards integration within ourselves, it's when we look at those things that we hide and suppress and deny about ourselves. Mm. And when we are, when we have the courage to look at that stuff, and that, that's not easy because there's a reason we hide and suppress and deny it. We're invested in hiding, suppressing, denying. We, we have an image built up around that. And so to break through all that and to, um, you know, and to really uh, start looking at those things is, uh, is not easy, but that's, that's really the path I think is, is to, um, look deeply into those things. And then I encourage people, you know, you have to have an outlet for it. So I, I encourage people to journal, you know, when you're really getting in touch with whatever it is you need to get in touch with, you know, that, that divorce that just, you know, went totally sideways that you never really dealt with, or, um, the child who, you know, just, um, just, just ran amok as far as you can tell. And, and that you've never really processed you know, to, to really look into those things and maybe even to look into those things on retreat and uh, and to journal about it, you know, just to, to write down, you know, this this is what happened. This is what I feel about it. You know, this is what I think about it. And, and just to, to start working through some of that stuff. And in time, I would encourage people to find, uh, you know, a therapist or find a trusted uh, close friend or whoever, you know, to, to talk about those things. But when we really get real with ourselves, I mean, people can detect it. You know, people can detect when somebody is, is you know, is real. And, you know, and I've, I've been through some serious stuff in, in my own life. Uh, there's no need for me to get into detail about it here, but, but I think those things, um, are really what have humbled me the most and made me the most human and made me accessible to other people. Um, so I, I've come to really value, I've come to really value those things. Beautiful. And you wrote in the book that you arrive at this form of zeal that is full of spaciousness, humor, and compassion. And I think you were talking about con uh, contemplation and action there um, and how sometimes our activism, if it isn't, um, you know, met with some contemplation, it lacks the spaciousness, humor, and compassion. Um, the North Star, I mean, I, I kind of always go back to people and I go, the, the North Star of all these practices has to be more fruits of the Spirit. Um, more peace, more love, more patience, more kindness, more gentleness. And, and the funny thing I've found, and I'd like to see if you've found this as well, is that um, the, the more I can go into myself, I guess to use a little bit of that shadow language, uh, that Jungian language, um, the more I can go there and allow myself some peace, patience, kindness, uh, then it's this beautiful two-in-one gift that the world I've been entrusted the stranger I meet at the grocery store. Each step is a little bit more into the mystery. And as you honor yourself with these practices and disciplines and enter that spaciousness, humor, and compassion, you then begin to honor each and every individual um, with the same type of 
fruits of the spirit. Have, have you found this to be the same? Yeah, that, that's beautiful, Ashton. And, you know, one of my favorite um, mystics is George Fox, um, who founded the Quakers. And one of the, one of the things that Fox um, often says in his journal, um, in George Fox's journal, is um, he says when you, when you get in touch with that of God within yourself— he sometimes refers, refers to that also as, as the, the light of Christ within yourself. He sometimes refers to it as the seed, uh, capital S. Mm. When you get in touch with that within yourself, then you, it becomes much more readily um, uh, available you know, in other people, too. You start to see that Christ light in others, and you start to connect with them uh, on that level. I mean, when, when you're only in touch with, with, you know, with, if I'm only in touch with Amos with a lowercase a, you know, then I can only be in touch with Ashton, a lowercase a, you know, but, but if, but if I really get in touch with, with Amos uppercase a, you know, who is connected, who is, um, you know, participating in this, in this, uh, deeper reality, then I'm more likely to actually be able to connect with Ashton with an uppercase A, you know, and to have, and to bring the conversation to a higher level. Um, and so, you know, that, and that's what George Fox and, and other mystics so often talk about. That's the beauty of this is, is when you reach that, that ground within yourself, um, then you can connect with other people at that same level. And, and there's fewer superficial connections. There's more, you know, real, um, you know, heart to heart, um, human, um, you know, real with a capital R kind of connections that go on. Mm. I've never, what a great practice. Is this the lowercase Ashton speaking or the uppercase Ashton? Um, that's, that's a great discipline for our moments, um, to reground ourselves into, Hey, is this the true self? Is this the false self? Um, am I speaking from a place of spaciousness and, and compassion, or am I speaking from a place of control, um, judgment, and, and everything else? I've, I've never heard that example before, but it's beautiful. Well, and, and to put it in Christian language, you know, it's the difference between the Christ-centered uh, space, um, you know, and if, you know, some who aren't Christian, they might prefer, you know, God-centered or some other language, but that there's the Christ-centered space, and then there's the uh, self-centered mm-hmm. space. And um, Christ-centered is just just aware, it, much more aware that, um, you know, I'm only one branch on this vine. You know, I'm not the vine. Um, you know, the vine is, is my higher power. The vine is Christ with a capital C. And I'm one branch on the vine. I'm connected to that vine, and that vine gives me life, but, but I'm, you know, humble enough to admit I am not the vine. You know, but the, the self-centered approach is more that, you know, hey, what, what really matters is me, myself, and I, you know, and, and me and mine, and I'm going to fight for it, you know. And, and that's, it's just a whole different way of, of um, engaging the world, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's a much more vast way of seeing and being in the world, um, panoramic, if you will, participatory, as you call it. Um, love that. So, <clears throat> I can't tell our listeners enough. You guys got to get a copy of this latest book. Be still and listen. Experience the presence of God in your life. Um, forward written by our favorite Felina Hewitts. Um, super grateful for this. I think your stories and your reflection. Um, in, in these pages are going to give people um, some clarity and maybe a permission slip 
to kind of fail forward, uh, fall upward as we enter into these practices. Um, one of the questions I always ask uh, all of our uh, guests that come on the show is, um, what advice would you give to your younger self? I, I think I think even though it's risky and even though there is um, a very good chance of failure, um, I think on some level you have to follow your heart. And, um, you know, and I'm inspired by, by Ashton, you know, who is a business owner, but he follows his heart with his podcasting, you know, and, and we, we talked a little bit before the show and he said, it, you know, it just really, um, keep, it keeps him curious and keeps him digging deeper. And so I think for each of us, um, for, for some people, it might be like for my mother, it was painting, uh, for, for my dad, it's, uh, it's walking among his fruit trees, you know, doing walking meditation. Um, but each of us has something that, that really draws us. It could, could even be something like calligraphy or, uh, who knows, but, but something that just, that just opens us up. That's, um, that's, and I would really encourage you to consider because my passion has obviously been silent prayer. I really encourage you to consider, um, taking my 30 day challenge and just sitting in silence for as long as you can possibly, uh, manage for the next 30 days. And then at the end, uh, you know, just, just mark it on your calendar and see if it's been valuable to you. And if it has, then see where you want to go from there. But, um, but we need to, uh, to have that artistic, creative, um, you know, countercultural side. We, we need to have that expressed as well as uh, the practical side. Totally. 30 days, be still, be silent. Um, and I think that uh, you will start to descend from your headspace of the analytical spreadsheets. All graphs need to be up and to the right, formulas, algorithms, and you will move into that heart space to hear the song of your heart. Um, which always has a beautiful message for us and is always uh, our own unique divine North Star. Um, so I love that. Thank you for sharing that because that's no one's ever said that. But what beautiful, <laughs> encouraging news today. Follow your heart. Um, start there. There's always something interesting and beautiful for you in that space. Definitely, definitely. All right. Well, so um, if our listeners want to follow you and your work in the world, what's the best way we can um, follow what you're doing, get your book and things like that? Well, uh, my book is available on uh, Kindle uh, right now for six ninety nine, and I don't know how much longer it'll be available on Kindle. I think that's because the book just recently released on June 12th, um, and it's also available in a number of bookstores Um and, you know, probably the bookstore of your choice uh, recently did a, a signing at Barnes and Noble. Um, and you can also connect um, on our uh, on our website, which is uh, RCMR5 is, is the uh, the website. And RCMR stands for Recover Christianity's Mystic Roots. And you'll see a lot of uh, material there and um, just a, a lot of content and some videos and um, I, I think you'll you'll enjoy that too. Um, so yeah, it's just RCMR five, and um, we're the only one. So if you Google those five uh, five uh, characters, you'll get there. 
Um, and thank you so much, Ashton, for your time. Really appreciate it and for reaching out to me and uh, enjoy your enjoy your podcast and the work you're doing. And uh, I wish, uh, wish your listeners all the best. Beautiful, Amos. Well, man, we appreciate your time and energy today. And uh, I, I know that for our listeners that want to discover the undivided heart, they want to move into that heart space, they want a spaciousness, unity, oneness of life, in life, relationships, business. Uh, this is a great, great place to start with these words. Uh, and I know that um, the great work of our generation uh, is, is going to be in carving out the space and the practice and the disciplines um, to be still, be silent, uh, and reflect upon our lives so we can step back from those thoughts uh, and follow our heart, as you say. So keep doing the good work, my friend, and uh, super grateful for you joining us today. All right. Thanks again, Ashley. Hey, before you go, don't forget to hit subscribe right there on your phone. That's probably where you're listening. Uh, and if you enjoyed this, would you mind leaving us a review? One of the things that we're wanting to do is get this information out to as many people as we can. And we are finding that uh, when people leave good, true, and beautiful reviews, uh, that helps us get this information out more and more to people all across the world. I do not take it lightly uh, that you invite me to ride shotgun with you in your car. Uh, you allow these conversations to be a part of your jogs. You allow these conversations to be a part of the communities and families and businesses that you've been entrusted. Uh, I do not take that lightly at all, and I am thrilled uh, that you have joined us here at this table, at this conversation. There's always a seat left. There's always room for more, uh, and we are just so grateful for you guys joining us here at Good, True, and Beautiful. And as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid. Listen to the bluebirds sing and be loved.